Lord, we thank You. The opportunity this morning is great. Your Spirit, we've invited You in, Holy Spirit, into the preaching of Your Word. Remove everything that would drive us to be ego-centered and ego-driven. Remove everything from us that, that's taking our minds and our hearts and our thoughts away from what Your Word has for us now. Oh, Jesus, this is about You, not us. You are the central theme of Your Word. You are the only one that can save a soul. It is Your Word. It is the only thing that can change our lives. It's the only thing that can provide unity. And so, Lord, I pray that this would not just be some religious experience where we can jot it down, we came to church, but that this would be a day where lives are changed. Let no one, including myself, leave this place the same way. Lord, I beg You for souls this morning. I, I thank You for our dear friends and visitors that are here. I thank You for my Arhau family, Lord. Lord, speak to them. They, we need You this morning. We need You. And so, Lord, I pray that You would have Your will and way as we open up Your Word in Jesus' wonderful, matchless, and eternal name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. So one of the things that you're going to know about me right away, even though my parents were gracious enough to move me out of the city to go to school, I love being from New York City. I mean, I'm, I mean Rob, I'm glad I'm not from Boston. I just, I'm just not. I mean, I love Boston. I love my brothers in Boston, but I'm glad I'm from New York. I spent three years as a youth pastor down in Georgia, and every moment I was wondering, Lord, when are you going to bring us up back north? It was so bad that I missed shoveling snow. That's how bad I miss being up here. I love New York City. I love the people. I love the diversity. You know, a lot of people call us the melting pot. We're not a melting pot. We are a nice big pot of Sancocho. And you know why? Because in Sancocho or any other kind of stew, there's all these components that, Pedro, if I mess up, please let me know. There's like stew, and you put all these things in the stew, and nothing loses its, its integrity. Every single part of that stew comes together to form a whole. That's why I love New York City, because we have diversity. We have every financial bracket, every age bracket, every ethnic bracket you can think of lives here. And that's why I love being here. But we all know, if you're from New York City, you know there's some things about New York City. You know there's mad traffic in New York City. Well, SoCal understands this, though, too. There's traffic over there as well. You know, there's always, I remember last night, we're coming in, and I like to say a sovereign God placed us in traffic on the Queensboro Bridge so we can see the fireworks. But, like, that was a lot of traffic last night. And whenever there's traffic, you know there's people. There was two guys that got into an accident, and all of a sudden there's lines everywhere in the city. There's just this rudeness, right? Even in a store that's supposed to be the friendliest place in the world, there's, if, you, if, it's in, if there's a branch in New York, you know it ain't going to be that way when you get there, right? What's another thing about New York City that I love? Team rivalries. I ain't even going to ask. But you know where I'm Danny knows where I'm going. I'm not even going to ask. 
this room who follow a team and then they're Mets fans too. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're two teams, right? But think about that. When you have that kind of rivalry, it's wonderful. It's great because everybody goes to the stadium. Everybody's wearing their uniforms. But every time, man, when you see that guy who has the nerve to walk in your stadium wearing the opponent's team jersey, you lose it, right? Like, like what are you doing? Cover up. Where's your poncho? What, come on, man. So we, so we have that, right? Think about all the, 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 the unity that comes in in a team spirit. But then you know if you and someone else in your family is not on the same team. You know, we call, what do we call that? A house divided, right? Yeah. All right. No one. My wife's not a Mets fan. My wife's a Phillies fan. Yeah. It's like her and Sean. That's it. Right? And so sometimes you'll see, we'll be, in a, we'll be watching a game on TV or something, and you'll see, you know, the couch just gets further apart, you know, and we're on other sides. But, you know, team, you know, team rivalries, you know, trying to get the best spot in line, you know, even in traffic, trying to weave through, that, that's all yeah, kind of disunity, but it's fun, right? But if you've been through real disunity in your life, you know there is no fun in that at all. If you've ever been into a place where you are removed from the company of someone else because of some rift, you know how much that hurts. You think about it. I, I, I like to look at it this way. So I, I'm at home, long day's work. I sit down, I turn on the TV, and I turn on something like CNN. And then I see how we're like divided as a world when it comes to defeating terrorism and things like that and the global economy. And you're like, man, enough of this junk. I'm going to turn it to Fox News. That's where everything falls off the tracks, right? Because then all of a sudden, now we have, we don't have journalists, now we have CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, all them. They're all, they're all paid to have a certain position, and then if it's not a position that you agree with, then you get even more upset, right? So I go from CNN to Fox News to MSNBC, and then I just shut the TV off. Because at this point, I'm frustrated. So the TV's off. Mom and dad, where are mom and dad's at? Where are they at? Mom and dad's, where are you at? What happens when you shut the TV off? What's the next thing you hear? Lauren, stop! David, stop! Julia Roberts, stop! And all of a sudden, you know, you got them a room. You look for an apartment in the attic so it has a second floor so they can be up there and you're downstairs, but you still hear them. So the TV goes off and now you have their kids and the kids have this unity. We have this unity in our world. We have disunity in our nation. We turn off the TV and we realize, we knew it, but we were trying to numb it out of us that there's disunity with our children. So you get them quieted down. You get them showers. You get them showers. They, they go to sleep, hopefully, right? Then you go to the bedroom. So, honey, how was your day? And all of a sudden you realize that, oh, yeah, we fought the night before. It ain't just me, right, guys? All right, okay. Got real lonely up here for a second, right? Oh, hot on the car. All right. So all of a sudden, you know, that whether it was something big or something small, there was, I mean, there are, there are more than two. I'm going to mention one time that I thought we were going to get a divorce. And it's when we were trying to build a treadmill by ourselves. We bought one of those treadmills, and the, and the instructions were like 58 pages. And like little nuts and bolts just to get the foundation together, lifting it up. I thought, oh my goodness, it's over. This is it. We've been married seven years and it's over. O -o over this, right? 
But for some of us, it's not something funny like a treadmill. There are real issues with our kids. There are real issues with, with, our, with our spouses. And it hurts. There's just this inner junk that you just can't rid of. You can't sleep. You can't eat. Everything just goes numb because you don't know what you're going to do. So you go to the place that you think that you can forget all these things and you go to work. Then you go to work. And your boss comes to you and says, hey, how come this wasn't done? How come this wasn't done? And then not only that, I need you to do this, 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 and this, and I need it within 30 minutes, right? That's how it always seems. You got your coworker that you know for a fact you're doing double the amount of work that they're doing and they're getting the promotion. You're walking around and all of a sudden you see there's people hanging out at the water cooler and because they're the boss's favorite, nothing happens to them. Or you know you did something wrong. You know that there was something that you should have done that you didn't do, but you're too prideful to fess up to it, and then there's even more disunity at work. And so every day, getting on the subway, getting on the bus to go to work is a chore, it's a task, and sometimes we don't even want to go, so we wind up calling in sick days. Those sick days turns into sick weeks. Then all of a sudden, we're trying to get short-term disability because we just can't make it. Disunity kills Disunity hurts. Disunity rips everything apart. How about family and friends? Some of us have not spoken to siblings, cousins, moms, dads, aunts, and uncles for years because of something that happened in the past. Some of us, the cuts are as fresh as day and the memories are as clear as yesterday. For some of us, it was something so trivial that we can't even remember what it was, but the disunity is there. So you ignore the texts. You ignore the voicemails. You ignore the Facebook friends. You ignore all of it, and the disunity grows. What about inside church? Man, we spent a lot of time on our last leadership development talking about the disunity within the church plans. It's okay. Visitors can know. They need to know what's going on, right? We got we to face it. There are times that we don't feel like one church. There are times that we don't feel like one congregation on one mission to serve one Savior. That's why it's great to have a day like today that we are here, we're here, we're together, we're, we're having one service that so gives us enough time to travel to, to visit and support the other plants that we have. But we know there's church issues. We know there's disunity. We know that some of us feel that we're not climbing up the ranks like as fast as we think that we should be. Some of us feel like that we, we can't go any further. Some of us, you know, want to do things that we think we should be able to do and we're not able to do it. Or it could be something as simple as, uh, this brother and sister didn't hug me as hard as they did last week. You know how Satan works. Come on. He uses anything that he can to get in there. But all this world, family, Spouses, jobs, within the church. This all leads to a disunity that causes such a burden. And for some of us, the reason why this burden is there, the reason why this disunity continues to grow and grow, is because inside of us there is a disunity. Inside of us there is this loneliness and longing for something that we have no clue what it is, and we've sought after friends and family and religion and church life and a hobby, and this disunity inside of us will just not go away. How does that feel? 
Honestly, how does that feel to us? Do you, do, do you feel that despair sometimes? Do you feel that, 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 that loneliness and that stress? And then all of a sudden that stress leads for us to, to crave unity from anything, right? Any, anybody that can give us some sort of relationship, whether it's something that's shallow or something that's deep because we want that deep unity, and then because of the stress and because of the tiredness, we make bad decisions. And then that disunity feels like it's coming together because we're getting that feeling and sensation back, not knowing that all of those things have nothing to do with the unity that you desire. It's a quick fix. And all of a sudden, that disunity gets worse. Nothing gets better at home. Nothing gets better at work. Nothing gets better anywhere. I want to tell you something this morning, though. God knows. God knows about our despair. God knows about our disunity. God knows about our struggle to keep unity together. God knows about the inner, inner turmoil that we have. God knows about all of these things. Let me ask you, does it, can anybody relate to this? Am I, the, am I alone or are, are, are we together on this? Yeah. Right? This is something that, that is as normal as, 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 as waking up in the morning, but it is as deep as the deepest sea. And let me ask you a question. I asked you if, if you've been there before. Let me ask you something a little bit more intimate. And I, and, and I apologize if this is too much, but are you there right now? Are you feeling that right now? Are you feeling that disunity from without and that disunity from within? Let me ask you this. Are you ready right now? If I would give you the opportunity, would you throw in the towel right now? Would you throw in the towel on whatever relationship that's disunified? Would you throw in the towel? Well, we got some answers. And I ain't Dr. Phil. I ain't no, no, no guru. Our answers are found in the one who knows, and that is in the Word of God. So if you want, if you want some unity from your disunity this morning, if, if you want to have those feelings of loneliness turn into feelings of joy and acceptance and comfort, you have come to the right spot this morning. The Word of God. God knows. Here's the thing, though. Do we want answers? Or do we just want some quick relief? Because if we just want quick relief, you know, go to the store and, and do whatever you need to do. Because when it comes to getting disunity from unity, there's some work that needs to be done. You know that? Hey, do you know that the only place that success is found before work is in the dictionary? That's the only spot. Everywhere else, real work takes a real inward struggle and some real things that are happening. So it's not going to happen if we're just looking for some relief. If we want to see healing, if we want to see unity, God knows. And because He knows, He wrote a book that we can look at that gives us the answers, and that's the Word of God. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between the joints and marrow. It cuts between the soul and the spirit. It gets deep down where it needs to. So today we want to talk about something very simple. We've been mentioning in our series, The Ghost, about God providing, God providing His presence, God providing comfort, the fact that God proves the world wrong. Today, we want to talk about the fact that the Holy Spirit provides unity that the world doesn't understand. The Holy Spirit provides unity that the world doesn't understand. It actually shocks the world. 
Because all those things that we spoke about, all the turmoil, all of the despair, all of the things that cause us to have this unity is not unique in you. And it's not just unique in your family. Your family doesn't have a, a, a genetic makeup that's only disposition for disunity and everybody else is okay, so everybody can, can help you. No. This is as broad as the world is. And so when this unity can come in that we're going to talk about, it actually shocks the world. They can't understand it. So here's what I want you to do. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to take it and I'd like you to stand. And we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God, that's fine. We have, we're going to have it up on the board for you as well. The reason that we stand is because we think God's Word is that powerful. God's Word is that glorious. It's the only thing that can change your life. And so it deserves our reverence and our honor and our praise. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read the first six verses. And we're going to read that together. Ready? Here we go. As a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. May every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. My friends, this is the Word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. So in the first verse, the, the Apostle Paul wrote to this church that was in the city called Ephesus. And Ephesus is a lot like the way New York City is today. There was diversity, there was commerce, there was a lot of things going on. They had their own red light district, they had their own financial district, they had everything that you see in, this, in our city, you could see in a place like Ephesus. They even had diversity. Ephesus is probably one of the most diverse cities in the Roman Empire. And so Paul was writing to this church, and this is a church that not only did the Apostle Paul help start, he spent a lot of time at this church. He spent over three years at this church. And when he was there, he not only helped to get started, he actually was the one that prayed over the first pastors of this church that would come after him. So he had this really tight relationship with the church at Ephesus. And so in the first verse of chapter 4, he urges them. He says that they need to lead a life that's worthy of the calling that they've been called. Here's the thing that's crazy, though. He does not mean in any shape or form that they have to try to deserve a place in God's favor. That's not what he's trying to say. He says, Jesus already gave you that place of favor. And because you already have all of God's love, you can walk worthy because He's given you the tools to do it. He says you can walk worthy. He doesn't say try to walk worthy, maybe you can attain worthiness. He says, no, I've made you worthy, so walk worthy of that. Walk, walk in the way that you already should be walking is what he's trying to say. This means that we recognize how much God loves us. So the focus is not on our worth, which is different and that's one of the main causes of this unity is because we focus on our worth. We're worth something in this relationship. Doesn't he see, doesn't she see how much I'm worth? 
That's not the focus. The focus is the worthiness of the calling that God has given to a believer. That's the focus. So when we look back, if we were to go back through chapters 1 and 3, this letter that Paul's writing, in chapter 1, he talks about the fact that God chose us for himself, that God drew us. He talks about the fact that we are his children, which means that we are heirs of everything that the Father owns. Then he goes on to say in verse 7 that he sent Christ to pay the price for all of our sins and trespasses. In verse 13, he talks about the fact that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit that preserves us forever. For, uh, chapter 2, he goes on to talk about that because of all of the promises and because of all of the inheritance that we have, that we are going to spend an eternity every day increasing in our joy because of the riches of God's grace in our life. Imagine that every day we're going to grow more in love with Jesus and be joyful more and more and more. And in chapter 3, he says this, he's given us a mission. And the mission is for us to display the wisdom of God, even though there are spiritual things that are working against what God wants to do. He said it's our privilege to show the world that the Holy Spirit can provide unity that they can't understand. It's our privilege to be able to do that. Only someone who has the Holy Spirit inside of them can show the world unity. So it's a privilege, it's an honor. Verse 12 says, We are destined and appointed to live for the praise of God's glory. That, that is our, that's God's goal for us. So, so verse 3 says this, that we have to maintain something because of this. We have to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In verse 2, he talks about things like being lowly and being meek and having patience and, and forbearing one another. But, so he looks at we have to maintain something. So this is the thing that, that, um, that I looked at it, and then I looked a little further in the passage, and something didn't make sense to me. So we're going to go to verses 11 through 13. And I want you to see something here. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity, all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now I see the word unity there is again, right? But this time, he doesn't say to maintain it. He says until we all attain unity. So are there two different types of unity? Oh, no, 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 no. Here's what Paul's saying. I've already given you unity. The moment that we received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we not only became heirs of all the promises of God, we not only will spend eternity getting more and more joyous when it comes to the riches that He has for us, but He also says, I have given you everything that you need to be unified right now. So if we're not unified, it ain't His fault. It's our fault. 
Because he says, in, in that essence, we already have unity. I love the way God chooses the way the writers speak, that they speak in such terms that there's no wishy-washy, I hope so. They talk like it's already been done because, my brothers and sisters, it's been done. It's finished. We have this unity. We have it. So why is, what does he talk about this, this unity of the Spirit? The only reason why when we say unity, we add of the Spirit is because this unity that we're supposed to maintain on a daily basis is something that we cannot do on our own. So one of the things that, um, that boggles my mind is the way a car works. If you need your car fixed, I'm the last person you come to, okay? I'm just putting it out there now, all right? If, if, if you say, hey, Rob, do you know what that sound is in my car? I'm going to go, wash, I don't know, what washing machine? I don't know what it is. What is it? Sounds great, right? So when you talk about maintaining a car, I have no clue what that means. I'm the guy that has to Google, you know, I have Honda Odyssey, 2006, 180,000 miles. What do I need to do next? Enter. And then it tells you what to do next. Usually it tells you to do more than you have to do because they want to make that change, right? I mean, they tell you more than you have to. But if it wasn't for a guide or my dad, I would have no clue as to what to do with my car, right? The same thing is true with you and I. None of us on our own have any clue in the world how to maintain unity that comes through the Holy Spirit of God. I am so glad that when God wrote this love letter, the Bible to us, He did not say, okay, go do it. Go team! I'm going back up to heaven and I'll see you later. No, right? He provided Himself in the form of the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us, keeps us saved, and continues to teach us in order for us to have this unity. He continues to work in our life on a daily basis. Let's go to Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 16. I love this. This is, this is a great portion of scripture, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Man, Jesus says there's hostility between us. He says, for someone who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, there's hostility between them and God. And he said one of the, the, the major goals of his son coming to this earth was to destroy that hostility. And he says it, to tear down the wall. When there's disunity, there's a wall. And that wall gets thicker and higher and stronger. And through Jesus, it doesn't matter how thick it is. It doesn't matter how high it is. It doesn't matter how strong it is. He's here to take the shattering and the battering ram of the Word of God and to knock that wall down. He wants it out of there. He can get it out. He's the one that can do that. So the unity that Christ gives us, the unity that Christ purchased by His blood, now can be lived out through us. And so Paul says to maintain 
the spirit of unity. It talks about the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. It talks about a unity of faith. And then he also talks about that there's a confidence that we have. So when we talk about Christian unity, we're talking about the fact that through Christ we have a common conviction about who Christ is. That Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God who came on this earth, lived 33 and a half years perfectly, and then when He chose, He gave Himself up to die for my sin and your sin. And He's the only one that could do that. He's the only one that's pure because He was God. God died for me. And on the cross, He yells out, It is finished! Meaning that He paid the price for every single one of our sins. The story doesn't end there. Three days later, by His own power, He raises Himself up from the dead, giving us victory over sin and over death. What do you do for an encore when you're the Son of God? And He did all of this. And because He did all of this, we can have the same belief about Him, but we also can have the same confidence in Him. And having a belief and confidence in Jesus gives us the way that you and I can have a common care for one another. It's not through us. It's through Him. So all of these things flow through the Holy Spirit. All of these actions of unity out of disunity flow through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit frees our hearts from irrationality. It frees our hearts from a self-defensive attitude that we always have. It frees ourselves from prejudice that we have when we hold up to the true convictions that we have. When we all believe this, have the same confidence in Jesus, it causes us to, to throw down all those things that divide us and cause us to have common care for one another. Do you know that in this room, I am closer to most of you, and I've only been here for four months, than I am with some of my own family. Because of Jesus. I can go halfway around the world. I can go to Europe. I can go to Antarctica. If I can find the peeps that live there, if there's a Christian, I'm going to have more in common with him than I have people who have the same DNA that I have. Because of Jesus. And that powerful statement shows that unity can be accomplished. You know, Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The things that's supposed to overflow out of the life of, of a believer. And those things are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All those things that, that go towards unity as opposed to things that go the other way. So, two things he says to do. He says, first, we have to be lowly and we have to be meek. The idea is this. Meekness is not someone who's who's weak. But the idea of being lowly and meek means that someone prefers what someone else needs over what they want. Lowliness and meekness is the opposite of selfishness and downright only wanting number one to make it. That's why when you think about it, when people talk about evolution and they say the survival of the fittest, that doesn't fit into the Word of God. Because Christians don't worry about the survival of the fittest, they worry about the survival of every believer. And as we grow tighter and closer together, we don't leave people behind. That's what Christians do. We don't leave people behind. 
He regards, Paul says he regards his knowledge of himself as small and lowly. How does this happen? Man, you don't look at, it's not easy for us. And unless, if you can do this, I don't know how you do I want you to get with me and tell me how you do it. But when I look at the needs of someone else, if the needs of myself and my family are greater, I'm not going to them naturally. I'm going to take care of myself and my family, right? That's just the way it works. But what the Bible says is that when someone looks at God, not other people, but when they focus on God and the Savior, He, because of His holiness and His power and His provision in my life, He gives me the resources to take care of my own, but also to help others. Remember, the focus isn't if we're worthy. The focus is we already are worthy, so the focus is on our calling. We already have everything we need in Christ Jesus. You know, when you're, when you're a Christian and, and, you're, and you're lowly, when you're following Christ and you have this meekness, it's really awkward when people praise you about stuff. You know, some of us, sometimes we're like this. No, 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 I don't deserve the applause. No, 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 keep it for yourself. No, 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 no. Stop it, stop it. That's how we are, right? On the surface, we're like, no, I don't want any, but we know we crave, we crave that. We want people to say you did a good job. And it is, it is good to tell people that they've done a good job. It is good to praise other people. But if someone who is meek and lowly, they find that very awkward. So if someone gives, uh, gives you a high five and says, hey, you did a great job or good whatever, if you're the kind of person that's like, yeah, all right, I, you know, you're on the right track. But if someone says good job, like, I know it was a good job. You're on the wrong track. <laughs> Real simple, all right? So he says be lowly. He says be meek. Here's the, here's the other thing. He says this. He says to be patient, and he says to forbear one another. I don't know about you, but patience is something that does not come easy to me. I want it now. I want it yesterday. And I want it better than perfect. Right? I am horrible at Popeyes, let me tell you. Because for me, they take forever with the food. And the same five minutes the person before me, it's the same five minutes I'm going to wait, but for some reason I think it's like 35 minutes I'm waiting. Because I'm just impatient by nature. I'm impatient. And so, um, just like when we, when we talk about the fact that the reason that we're able to help our family and help others and have that common care... The way, if we're impatient, and, and because we're impatient, we can't, the Bible uses the word forbear. That means that we can endure with patience someone else, right? That we can have, get this, a long-lasting, growing relationship with another sinner. The only way that can happen is through us also then looking at the omniscient, almighty God looking at His holiness and His perfection and His love. And then all of a sudden we realize, I don't need it that quick. Not only do I not need it that quick, I think that guy over there needs it more than me. Spirit, are you telling me to go get... Okay. That's the difference. So as, as the Holy Spirit provides all these things to take us from a point of disunity or unity. So I read this. I read over it. I read over it a lot. I don't know about you. Here's, here's my first thought when after I finished studying this text. Here's what I thought. Okay. Great. Now what? 
Because I didn't feel any better. It wasn't like all of a sudden it was like, okay, it, there was a lot of things for me to do and a lot of things for me to work on, but I, 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 the, the thought process that I had is I can't do this. The pain and the anguish and the despair is still there. It's not like I can text the person I haven't spoken to in 20 years and they're going to respond and everything's now okay. This seems like a lot of work. And there's no, to me, there was no guarantee that anything was going to change based on the amount of work that I was going to do. I can't do it. You know what? I can't do it. You can't do it. The things that we just read from the Word of God on our own, we cannot do. We cannot be lowly. We are not meek by nature. You and I are not patient by nature, and we definitely do not know how to get along with one another on a regular basis. So what do we do? So, I said I love New York, right? If I'm, you know, in, in, my, in my team stadium and another team is there, I don't want to talk to people from that team. If, I'm, if we're fighting over a spot in the middle of traffic in Midtown, there's no smiles coming from my face, Right? If we're on the, the train and the train is overcrowded and someone decides that they need more space on that bench than they're supposed to have, I'm not a happy camper, right? But get this. If I leave New York City and I go Ohio, if I go to Georgia, if I go far away enough that I, that I don't feel any comfort of home, and I walk into a place like Walmart. And as soon as you walk in, they're like, hey, sugar, hey, sweetie. And I'm like, who are you? What are you doing? And, like, and, and then you, you feel like you have to say hi back, right? If I'm walking through the aisles of Walmart and I see a New York Yankees hat, I'm not ticked. I'm like, dude, that's a New Yorker. And I run over and then I listen for the accent. I listen for the, for the shaking of the head, and I listen for the idea that if I say hi, he's going to punch me, that I know I found a friend. <laughs> I know. And all of a sudden, we can talk for hours about New York City. Oh, what part of New York City from? I don't know where that is, but hey, man, it's so good to see you. Oh, yeah, the, the L train, I'm never on it, but I'm glad you understand. Where's your MetroCard? I got mine, too. You know, and then you just start talking. What made the difference? What made the difference? The outside factor of us being away from home. I'm here to tell you, there's no way that we can have unity, but the Holy Spirit can be that outside factor that comes in. Megan and Ray, come on up here real quick. I asked them to help, and they have no clue what they're going to do, but they're going to find out right now. I was thinking of putting like the newlywed game there, but I was like, no, we're not going to do that. All right, so if we just stand right in front of me right here and act like you guys like each other, okay? All right. How many days to the wedding? 86. 86. Woo! Get in there. All right. So you're going to represent all mankind, and you're going to represent all ladies, okay? You're also going to represent one side and another side, just, Okay? Now, they're together, right? Everything is perfect. They're great. 
here's how disunity works. So all of a sudden, they're married, right? And honeymoon's over, they're home, they're starting to unpack. The freshness is beginning to wear off. Anybody else been there? Okay. Now all of a sudden, you find out something about Raymond that you didn't know before and you don't agree with. But it's not something big, it's something tiny. Like all of a sudden, he doesn't like green and you like green, right? So take one step away from each other. That's too much, guys. Just a little bit. All right. Okay. Sheesh. All right. Then all of a sudden, Megan's with child. And they're like, all of a sudden, they start talking about how to raise the kid. And Ray says one thing. Megan says something completely different. And they, now they can take a, yeah, that's a bigger step, right? So this continues to happen. There's little things that go on. And they can keep going further and further apart. It's not too far. I mean, there's, there's a little enough space there. But all of a sudden, all the frustration that she's been holding in because of these differences, and all the thoughts he's thinking, like, man, this girl is insane. What in the world is she thinking? <laughs> what do you mean he can't go play in the street at three? What is this? Is, I don't get that. And then all of a sudden, fight. Boom. You guys are, like, way out there. Right? You guys, a little closer for the camera. My bad. All right, there. Okay. All right. So, they're about this far apart. This is eternity's edges on that side and that side. Okay? So, they're this far apart. Days pass. Weeks pass. And they just get further and further and further apart. Here's the great thing, though. Ray and Megan are children of God. They both accepted Christ as their Savior. So once this, this anger gets to the point of frustration and then numbness and they finally realize that this cannot go on any longer, they start receiving biblical counseling, getting in their Bible, discovering who this Holy Spirit is. Here's what happens. Holy Spirit comes to Megan. I love you. I'm for you. I will never let you go. You are my prized possession. I will never leave you or forsake you. I have given you everything that you need in Christ Jesus. She starts coming back. Ray, I love you. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm never going to leave you. The word of God is strong. It can cut stronger than any word that someone says about you negatively. And he gets closer. And the word of God continues to talk to them. And they come together to the point the Holy Spirit provides unity that the world does not know. Thanks, guys. They needed an outside factor. We need an outside factor of the Holy Spirit that can get us to the place that we can begin to see our worth in Jesus that causes us again to focus on Him. And as we focus on Him, as we focus... We are brought back together. And he says, because of that, because of that, you can maintain unity. Because you already have it. You already have it. So what's the answer to my disunity? What's the answer to your disunity? It's not a what. It's a who. Jesus is the answer to my disunity. Jesus is the ultimate hero of unity. You know why? Because the Bible says something. I think we have a slide for this verse. There's one mediator 
between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. You think disunity between your family is rough? You think disunity between your co-workers is rough? If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, if there is that loneliness inside that you know you're playing a game of religion, those games can end today. Because Jesus Christ takes the mighty hand of God the Father and takes our weak, sinful hand and puts that enmity in that wall, breaks it down, and brings us together. You today can have a relationship with Jesus Christ that's personal and powerful. Because if you don't have that, you're never going to have unity. It's just never going to happen. The Holy Spirit begins to work in our life as when we receive Christ. And He helps us to maintain that unity that was provided by Jesus. And every time we, we fall off the tracks, He says, no, 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 no. I, I have you. I have you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And He continues to bring us back. With, 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 he gives us a relationship with Jesus then keeps that fellowship with the Father and the fellowship with one another together. Friends, imagine with me. Imagine me, if you will, a relationship that's unified. Imagine with me, even through all the pain and the turmoil that we have forbeared for the longest time, through the work of the Holy Spirit of God, unity begins to come back into our life. Imagine a place where we can grow with one another, that we can be bonded together closer and closer and have a trust that's growing because of the Holy Spirit. Something can be so powerful in our relationship that our children see it. And they don't hear mommy and daddy talking about how bad the preaching was at church or how that sister so-and-so didn't say hi to me. They don't hear every day about mom and dad fighting about which bill's going to be paid next. And all of a sudden, they have these different feelings about how they should treat their brothers and their sisters. And it's nothing that we did. It's that the Holy Spirit has started to reign in the family. Imagine a church like that. Where disunity comes and we nip it in the bud immediately. But we don't nip it in the bud by kicking people out. We nip it in the bud by kicking ourselves in the back of our pants and saying, let's go. It's maintaining unity time. That we through the Holy Spirit said, this is not going to happen here. I'm going to go to my brother and sister right now and I'm going to get it. I, I can't wait. I can't wait before communion. I can't wait till after communion. i got to get to it right now. This has to be taken care of. Because we can't have anything destroy the unity. And we have the power to do that through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they come forward, I want to ask you just a few questions. Is there disunity? What part have you played in that disunity? And what part can God play and providing unity for you. So in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion.
or what we call the Lord's Supper. Jesus, in the night that He was betrayed, He had a meal with His disciples. And before He went to the garden where He was going to be captured, as He sat down for the meal, He took bread and He took a glass and He showed a picture of what was going to happen a few hours later as He would pay the price for our sins. He was going to suffer and bleed and die for our sins. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says that the same night that Jesus was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it, and He said, Take this, this is my body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Then He took the, the cup, and then He said that that was His blood. Before we do uh, anything, I'm, I never want this to be a religious exercise for us. That bread ain't really the body of Jesus, and that blood ain't really the blood of Jesus. They're symbols of what should already have been taking place in your life when you accepted Christ as your Savior. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't know if I'm in Christ. I don't think I could ever have that unity because I've never established a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm going to politely ask you not to take up the bread and the cup. Because I want you to do something even better. I want you to take Jesus today. I want you to realize that we are all sinners and without sinners we are separated from God. And that separation causes us to spend an eternity in torment and in flames in the place the Bible describes as a literal hell. But Jesus loved us so much. God sent His Son to live a life on this earth, be born of a virgin, lived a life for 33 and a half years, tempted every way that we were, but without sin, so that when the time came that He could give up His life and pay the price for our sin, because the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For, God's love, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, don't take a piece of bread and drink some juice. Accept Christ as your Savior today. If you're here and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, and you recognize that there's turmoil and disunity in your life, I want to ask you to do a couple of bold things today. The first bold thing that I want you to do is if there's someone else in this room that you have beef with, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. I want you to get up and find that person and, and, and kill that beef before you take of your, your bread and your cup. Because we're not going to have this shallow, mamby-pamby, chicken soup for the soul Christianity. We're going to have deep relationships that we take care of our problems. The Holy Spirit provides the unity and He gives us the resources to maintain it. But thirdly, if you're here and you say, well, I think everything's good. I mean, I, I don't think anybody, I'm against anyone I know have accepted Christ. I want you to just ask God a simple question. The worship team's going to sing and I want you to ask the question, God, show me me. Show me myself. Is there something there? Because the Bible says anybody who drinks of this cup or eats of this bread unworthily, like we talked about, that we don't drink worthy of our calling, that we put Jesus to open shame again. Man, people in the first century and even today, they were getting sick and some of them even died because they took of it that way.
This isn't some religious exercise. This isn't something that gets you saved every week, but it is something that is extremely important. So as the worship uh, team sings, Christ is enough, let's bow our head, close our eyes. Let's do some business with God before we get into our communion time.